Wouldn't it be great if there was some personal character tester, sort of like a battery tester, attach it to an individual and we know something of a person's internal makeup? What's their character like? Well, there is a character tester. Stay with me. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Hello, friends. Welcome to Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, Moody Radio's Bible study across America. I'm Michael Rydelnik. I'm Dean and Professor of Jewish Studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. I'm so glad to be sitting around the radio kitchen table with you, taking your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. If you have questions and you'd like to call, the phone number here is 877-548-3675. Now's the time to call. Uh, it's when uh, people always say, oh, I have a hard time getting through to open line with my question. Well, call now and you'll get right through the number again, 877-548-3675. Trisha McMillan is our producer. Handling all things technical is Courtney Young, and answering the phones is Mara Martinez. Now, go get your cup of coffee and open your Bible, because we're about to study the Scriptures together. But before we get to your questions, let's talk about the one great test of character. It's found in Proverbs twenty-seven twenty-one, which says, A crucible is for silver, and a smelter for gold, and a man is by the words of his praise. Now, what's a crucible? It's not a word that we use very often. The function of a crucible and a smelter for precious metals is twofold. The first is to refine the metal. The smelter heats gold or silver to a liquid state, and then the dross, the impurities, gather on the surface and can be removed. But the second function of the smelter, of the crucible, is to test the metal. The more pure and precious the metal, the less dross will be found. So now we see that crucibles and smelters refine and test precious metals, but this says that something else refines and tests people. In the second part of the proverb, the Hebrew literally says, so a man is according to his praise. So just as the heat of the furnace tests precious metals, so praise functions as the refiner and tester of a person's character. What's distinctive of the Proverbs is that they have a riddle-like quality. They make us ask, how is, a pray, how is praise a test of character? I can think of four ways that praise reveals our internal makeup. The first is, how we are praised. When people think or speak of us, what they praise reveals our reputation. If they praise natural talents or appearance, then that reputation is based on mere externals, characteristics that will pass away. But if people praise character, it shows our real worth. So what do our friends and family praise in us? Do they value our loyalty to others, our kindness to those who are weak, our generosity to the needy, our devotion to the Lord, this kind of praise reveals our true character. The second way praise functions as a test is how we praise. This reveals our gratitude. Are we the kind of people who frequently find fault? Are we never satisfied? 
Do we function with a critical spirit? Do we need to find fault in others? We need to be people, rather, who offer praise to others, not people who are professional fault finders. Also, are we the kind of people that look at every good gift received as a right and not as a privilege? Do we forget to praise God from whom all blessings flow? Our goal is to be people who give praise generously to our colleagues for jobs well done, to our kids for their daily successes, to our spouses for who they are and what they do. Above all, we need to daily engage in praise to the Lord for all the kindnesses he constantly shows us. Praise of the Lord Jesus should flow from our hearts and lips the way a powerful river flows to the sea. Yet a third way that praise functions as a character test is what we praise, because this reveals our priorities. If we praise external appearance and not internal character, it shows what we value most. If we praise obtaining wealth more than spiritual commitment, it reveals what is most important to us. I have a friend who has two daughters. When they were young, people would often praise them for how pretty they were, just as they do now that they're adults. Afterwards, he would always take them aside and reaffirm how beautiful they were. But then he would say something like, besides being so pretty, what I really appreciate about you is how kind you are. Or what I appreciate about you is what a good and loyal friend you are. Or you are so beautiful, but I appreciate how much you love the word of God. He always showed them that what was most praiseworthy was not their external appearances, but their internal character. This is a good parenting lesson, but also I believe it showed my friend's personal character. It shows what his priorities are through what he praises. Finally, how we react to praise is a great test of character because it shows our humility or lack of it Too often when I receive praise, I respond by adopting an artificial, humble, proud look. Some of us might act all super humble and dismiss the praise as untrue. Others might offer a sanctimonious, to God be the glory, you know. It's best to receive praise by saying a simple thank you. But I'm reminded of two of my spiritual heroes, George Sweeting and Erwin Lutzer, who whenever they are praised, always receive that praise graciously but they also remember Psalm 115, verse 1, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. So what are our praise patterns? If we identify them, they can serve as a test of our spiritual development and personal character. For what are we praised? How much do we give praise? What do we praise? And how do we respond when praised? All these will reveal where we need to grow, and even where we already have shown growth. Praise is the crucible that God has established to test our character. Hope you'll check out your praise pattern. We're going to go to the phones uh, just uh, in a moment. Uh, Before we do that, I want to talk about our current resource. You know, Psalms and Proverbs are two of the most popular books of the Bible, But there are passages that can indeed leave us confused, asking questions. And that's why this 
book, which is an excerpt from the Moody Bible Commentary, is a great resource for your study. It offers uh, it's a, an excerpt of the Psalms and the Proverbs made into a separate book. It offers background and insight to passages in Psalms and Proverbs, all the Psalms and Proverbs. It guides us in answering our questions. You can get the Psalms and Proverbs commentary taken right out of the Moody Bible commentary and start applying the comfort and wisdom of these great books. It's yours when you give a gift of any size to OpenLine. We want to say thank you and send you a copy of Psalms and Proverbs when you give a gift. Just call 888-644-7122 or go to OpenLineRadio.org. And remember, ask for the Moody Bible Commentary on Psalms and Proverbs. And we're going to go to the phones right now. Uh, we're going to speak with William in the... Uh, Baltimore area, Brooklyn, Maryland, listening to WRBS. Welcome to Open Line, William. How can I help you today? Thank you. Um, I've got a question. I'm I'm a first time caller, and I'm I'm a new Christian. Mm-hmm. And welcome to the family. I have been a Christian most of my life, but I've never practiced it until the last three or four years. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, one of the. Uh, We uh, the problem I'm having is um, I wanted to know whether or not do I what happens to me if I get cremated and does and I don't get buried is, is am I gonna be in okay trouble with God? Well, let me ask you this: uh, Have you made your plans for uh, what what will happen in the future? Yeah, we don't. My wife, my wife's uh, deceased, and uh, my children are all, you know, pretty well gone. And uh, I'm by myself, and I don't have a lot of money, so I, I have to be, I have enough, three thousand dollars enough to be cremated. I don't have enough for mm-hmm. burial, so I wanted to know I'm getting cremated because I, I don't have, okay. I have the finance. So that you, that's you know, usually the reason people have made the decision to get cremated is uh, they they think it's cheaper. And the concern is, well, can God resurrect my body one day at the resurrection if I am cremated? Uh, is there something in the Bible that forbids cremation? Those are the kind of questions that people have. Obviously, we are saved by grace through faith. We've trusted in Jesus. That's how our sins are forgiven. That's how we are assured salvation. So cremation won't affect our eternal destiny. But what can God do? Well, first of all, God is certainly capable of resurrecting those molecules that have been turned to ashes just as easily as he can resurrect a uh, decomposed body. So uh, I think that that's not the issue for God's power. He will be able to resurrect us. Also, I can't see any verse in the Bible that forbids cremation. Uh, and so there's nothing that I would say, don't do it. I do think this, and I, I, I've noticed this from Mike Fabares, who uh, is a pastor in California, frequently sits in for me. Uh, he, in a book he wrote, he talks about how in the Bible, cremation generally is uh, a dishonoring of a person, uh, but there's no explicit statement. But generally, when people are dishonored in their death, they are cremated uh, but not uh, people who are honored. They are burial, uh, buried, but uh, 
I would say that there's no specific for, forbidding of it. I personally don't like cremation. I have saved up enough money so that I won't be a burden to my kids. My wife won't be a burden to our kids. We're going to be buried. Uh, but that was something because I've always been committed for my whole life to the idea of burial. Just And that could be my own personal Jewish background. Uh, you know, I was raised in a and I am Jewish. I was raised in a traditional Jewish home. Uh, cremation is forbidden for for that circumstance. And then also, uh, you know, my experience with my family. I actually had uh, most of my family killed at Treblinka and at Auschwitz. And uh, as a result of that, you know, that that cremation there just makes it uh, sort of something that I just can't stand. And so as a result, personally, I've made the personal decision I will be buried. But William, you've made a different personal decision. I think the more important decision is the decision to follow Jesus and and be assured of eternal life. Uh, that There's no problem with God being able to raise your body from the dead. So uh, I think you can rest assured that that God is in charge of this as well. He's capable of resurrecting us. So anyway, thank you for your call, William. I hope you keep growing in your faith and that you'll take encouragement from God's Word uh, about spending eternity with the Lord Jesus by trusting in Jesus. Uh, he, he, when we trust that He died for us and rose again, we get to spend forever with Him. We're going to be right back with more of your questions in just a moment. This is Open Line with Michael Wright Helnick. Stay with me. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Open Line. So glad that you are listening in today. So grateful for it. By the way, if you, uh, you can still call. The phone number here is 877-548-3675. And feel free to call with your question about the Bible, God, or the spiritual life. If you can't call and would still like your question answered, what you could do is you could go to our website, openlineradio.org. There's a form there called Ask Michael a Question. Click on that, fill out the form, and uh, Trisha McMillan, our producer, will add it to the mailbag later on. Uh, one aspect of Open Line that I hope is apparent to everyone listening is that this isn't a solo program. We have a terrific team here. Trish, Open Line's producer, keeps us organized. She keeps us on target. Courtney, our engineer, keeps us sounding good. There's a group of capable phone answers that take turns talking with you first. And then there's all the good people in the administration of Moody Radio that help out. We all partner together to help you in understanding God's Word. And then there are really some others who are part of the team, and I'm talking about our kitchen table partners. Those are the listeners who commit to give monthly to Open Line so we can help people with their questions weekly. Their partnership keeps us on the air every week. I hope you'll consider joining the team by becoming a Kitchen Table Partner. If you do, I'll send you a special audio Bible study every other week prepared exclusively for our Kitchen Table Partners. Become a Kitchen Table Partner today by calling 888-644-7122. That's 888-644-7122. Or sign up online at openlineradio.org. 
And we're going to go to the phones right now. We're going to speak with Gene in Grand Rapids, Michigan, listening on WGNB. Hi, Gene. How can I help you today? Hi, thank you. Um, I'd like to know what it really means to lay down your life for someone. Like I know a situation where the wife died and then the kids asked the husband to come in to the home for about, oh, I don't know, a few months, you know, to stay. And uh, the person, the other person in the home, one of the kids said, well, I'm laying down my life for you. So it did make the other person feel kind of, oh, boy. So I don't know. No one seems to really know. So could you tell me that? Could I hang up? Or would that answer No, you, you can stay right there. Uh, the, the idea of laying down one's life uh, comes from the idea of what, what the, the great love of the Lord Jesus uh, has for us. Uh, right? Greater love has no man other than to lay down his life, right? Yes. So what does that refer to, do you think? That's when he died for all of our sins. Yeah, to lay, to lay one's life down for someone is to lay one's life down to, offer, to die in their stead. Uh, that's the great love that the Lord Jesus had for us. Uh, so that would, excuse me, be a little inconvenience on the part of the other person. Well, I, I think that. Their home? Uh, here's the thing, uh, John fifteen thirteen. No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. That obviously refers to a sacrificial death for others. It's like the soldier who dies taking the grenade, covering it up, and dying for his platoon. Uh, it's it's like. Uh, Someone who willingly dies, uh, someone who who substitutes their life for someone else's. Uh, you know, in in Ephesians five, it talks about husbands being, being willing to lay down their lives for their wives. Uh, that's a great love that we have. Uh, so I'm just saying that's what it means most literally, and I I suppose. It could be applied metaphorically that we offer sacrifices that we make for the sake of others. You know, that, you know, that's a metaphor that someone is saying, you know, not that they are literally dying, but that they are metaphorically giving themselves up. I th that's what it means. I'm not sure what the circumstances are in the that you just described, but that's what they probably they probably used it in a metaphorical sense. Okay, you mean like uh, if a person is just out of there, even though the person that took the other person in for that period of time, if they just got out of their comfort zone somewhat, they could. The other person didn't have to minister to him much or anything. Yeah. Well, just busy. Yeah. Would that be? Um, yeah, that, that's sort of sort of the idea of you know if a person's laying down their life for someone else, it means and they are not dying. It's referring to making personal sacrifices for them. Okay. Okay. So all right, thank you so much. Great, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Uh, we're going to speak with James in Lakeland, Florida, listening to WKES. Welcome to Open Line, James. How can I help you? Pastor, how's it going? Good. 
That's good. Uh, just a quick question. I'm based on, on Auburndale, which is uh, Lakeland. It's my nearest station that, that I listen to. Um, but my question, though, is whenever I read the Scriptures, I believe that the Word of God is accurate and true in every word. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, when I go through Scriptures, I say, okay, I need help on this one. That's why I'm calling you. Second uh, Kings chapter 8, verse 26, and Second Chronicles chapter 22, verse 2. Uh, one says that King Ahaz uh, was 22 years of age when he became king, and Second Chronicles says he is 42 years of age when he became king. Can you be able to elaborate and help me understand why those is the same person because it's the same mother, but why is it two different years? Well, first of all, you need to understand that when we talk about the truth of Scripture, everything that the Bible affirms as true, is true, right? Correct. And what we're talking about there is the original manuscripts. We're not talking about every copy being copied perfectly. What What we're doing is we're saying when Kings was written, when Chronicles were written, uh, that they were written 100% accurate. But we recognize that there are things that could be copyist errors that have crept in, and that's why we do something called textual criticism. Have you ever heard of that expression? No, I haven't. Okay, textual criticism is we look at all the variant readings. We look at the... Uh, copies, the the various copies and translations that we have, and we compare it to the Masoretic text. That's the, for example, in the Old Testament, that would be the Hebrew Bible that we have. Now, just remember, that Hebrew Bible was was consolidated and put in its final form, are you ready for this? Between the years 800 and 1000 A.D., Mm -hmm. So it's a very old version of the Bible, but it's still not as ancient as the original manuscript. It's, it's about, relatively speaking, for when, let's say, 1 Kings was written and, uh, or 2 Kings was written at around 500 B.C., the version that we have of it in the Masoretic text is... 13 to 1500 years newer. Do, do you follow? And it's been copied. So what we have to do is we have to go and see when we see a problem like this, we have to look at variant readings. Okay? The alternative readings. And of course we have from 200 BC the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. It's called the Septuagint. Have Correct. you heard, you've heard of that? And the Septuagint gets it right. The Syriac gets it right. Uh, and so in Second Chronicles 22.2, it says Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and there is no conflict with First Kings. It apparently was a copyist error that, that got into the text of the Bible. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you, James, what your problem is, okay? Every modern version that I can look at doesn't have that conflict. Every modern version understands textual criticism and has uh, that Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king. However, the King James Version 
which was done very early before we had a lot of text criticism being done. Uh, the King James, which is what I think you're reading, is right. that what, what you read all the time? Yes, I mean the, the New King James version. Yeah, well. the New yeah. King James and the Old King James, they don't do text criticism, and I think that's what's the problem with it. It just accepts the Masoretic text as if it were written by Moses and brought down Mount Sinai and, and uh, without any uh, potential uh, copyist errors. So I would it's encourage you... It kind of threw me you, a curve, you might say. That's why I'm trying to call you. <laughs> I, I didn't hear what you said. What was that? I said, it kind of threw me a curve. That's why yeah. I... That's yeah, why well, I'm, I'm telling you, here's what happens the next time you get a curve like that. Get a modern translation and compare it. Okay? Get something other than the King James, because most of the time that will resolve the issue for you. Okay? Thank you very much for you. Yeah. Take my call. Yeah, thanks so much for calling. I appreciate it. Uh, the, by the way, I find it interesting that very often the numbers are what get kind of messed up in the copyists as they copy the text of Scripture. Very often there are variations of numbers that differ with the uh, two texts, whether it's Kings and Chronicles, or even just when the Kings gets a number, very often you say, well, that, that can't be, that number doesn't make sense, and then you look at the variant readings and you see that there are more accurate numbers. And so we just have to be careful recognizing the inerrancy of Scripture is in the original manuscript, and we have to check various copies to get the idea of what it's about. Well, we're going to come back with the mailbag in just a moment. This is Michael Rydelnik on Open Line. Stay with me. I'll be right back. With me, Michael Rydelnik, our phone number here, 877-548-3675. Trish McMillan's going to be coming in here with the mailbag right now, but now's a good time to call 877-548-3675. You can get your question in. Uh, we'll be back in the next segment with calls, but for now we're going to talk about the mailbag. But Trisha, did you know that for the next brief time, there, we're still taking a few applications. There's a few spots left for Moody Bible Institute's fall class. Not many, but there's a few spaces. You're talking like starting in August? Yes, even okay. though it's a month away. Now, that's uh, crucial there. I just talked with someone. Uh, they, they told me that there was someone that ran into Mark Job, who... Uh, was speaking, and they said to Mark, I've always wanted to go to Moody, but I didn't think I could get in. And, uh, and so he encouraged them to apply, and lo and behold, this was just this week, and they've been accepted. For this fall? For this fall. That's crazy. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. But we only have a few spots left. Okay. And we'd love to fill them. And if someone's thinking, well, I'm already scheduled. This person was already scheduled to go to a different college. But... Uh, you know, just didn't think that they could ever get into Moody. Well, I don't know if you're thinking like that or if you think, man, I didn't apply to college. I was going to work this year. Uh, or if your kid decided that or your grandson or granddaughter, now's the time. You know, this week would be the time. Just go ahead and and go ahead and take a look at uh, moody.edu. Check out Moody Bible Institute. It is the 
I believe it's the best place for a follower of Jesus to learn how to be a kingdom, uh, a kingdom impact person, someone that can really serve the king in a special way. It's a great foundation for all of life. Even if whatever you're going to do in life, Moody Bible Institute's the place to get that great foundation for life. So just go to moody.edu, check that out. Hope you'll consider being one of the few that we have left to uh, sign up for coming to Moody Bible Institute. Uh, okay, Trisha, you've got the mailbag. I do. Uh, now, I know that we're going to be doing a mailbag program over the summer, at least mm-hmm. once, but we got to get some of these done. I know they're yes. piling up. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, our first question is from D in Florida. She listens to WRMB and has been holding on to this question for a while. Mm-hmm. She says, from, from things I've heard, it's my understanding that we all came out of eternity past before we were born. Then when we leave Earth, when we die, we go back to eternity. So her question is, why is it that we don't have any memory of what eternity was like before we came to Earth? Okay. Well, let's start off with where do we get the idea of the pre-existence of souls? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's from Casper the Friendly Ghost mm. uh, and and cartoons. You know, we, we always have the image of uh, other cartoons of sending that baby down to shoot and all of a sudden they're born uh, and they're all sent from heaven. Uh, we don't get that from Scripture. Uh, it says in Scripture, Psalm 139, that we are formed in the womb. I believe that's where life begins. And so each of us did not exist for eternity, which is why we don't remember it. But even if we did, why would we remember that? We don't remember usually the first three or four years of our lives. So why would we remember what happened before then? Uh, so, But the reason is the scriptures teach that life begins in the womb uh, when, the, when, that body, when that person is formed instantly. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, so kind of related to that in us being eternal beings, uh, um, Isabel in Florida listens to WKES and said her son-in-law is studying and living what the Bible says, mostly Old Testament stuff, but sometimes he says things that she questions. And one of those is that nowhere in the Bible, d- this is what her son-in-law is saying, not her. Mm-hmm. One of the things he has said is that nowhere in the Bible does it say that we go straight to heaven. And nowhere does it say that believers um, are the only ones with eternal life. So mm-hmm. when a non-believer dies, he's not eternal. Okay. Well, let's take so, this up okay. one at a time. All right. First of all, uh, it, it talks to heaven. Yeah. In Philippians 1, this is what Paul writes. For me, to live is Messiah or Christ. To die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I am pressured by both. I have the desire. This is Philippians one twenty three. now. I have the desire, Paul writes, to depart and be with the Messiah, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. So what Paul is talking about is that should he die, he would depart and go to be with the Messiah instantly. And if he remains alive in the flesh, it's more necessary for his ministry among the Philippians. So right there, Paul is talking about upon death, where would he go? He'd go to be with Christ, with the Messiah. And then in uh, 2 Corinthians 
chapter 5, very important and famous passage about this. It says uh, that uh, in verse 9, whether we at home or away, uh, what he's talking about uh, here is uh, being absent from the body. Uh, Verse 6, we are confident to know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And we are confident and satisfied, verse 8, to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. So what this is saying plainly is that when we die, we leave our bodies in, in this life, and the eternal life, the immaterial portion, goes to be with the Lord. So uh, that's the promise for believers. The second question appeared to be about whether or not... That believers are the only yeah. eternal beings. Yeah. And uh, it talks about uh, in the... the uh, I'm just looking here at the, the book of Matthew, and it talks about uh, where Jesus taught that there will be a place where people go who don't know the Lord, which will be a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then in Revelation chapter 20 uh, or 21, it talks about the judgment, the one-day judgment. Uh, actually, it's Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment. Uh, and it talks about anyone found Uh, not found written in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, And this seems to be uh, the place of of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I think the great sorrow of eternal separation from God is why they're weeping. Uh, It seems also when you read even the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, that even now when we die, uh, Lazarus... Now, I know it's a parable, but a parable doesn't mean it's not, uh, doesn't teach truth. What a parable does, it uses real life circumstances and, and tells a story to teach a spiritual truth. Uh, but it's based on real life circumstances. So what, what you have is Lazarus dying. He experiences comfort after death. He's in Abraham's bosom being comforted by Father Abraham. The rich man, he's separated and is, is experiencing uh, anguish because he is separated from God. So it does appear to me what Scripture teaches about life after death is that everyone lives after death uh, spiritually, but either with the Lord or separated from him. Okay. All By right. the way, I want to... So often we talk about life after death and what's going to be like, and hey, the, the, you know, I think it's so crucial to understand an abundant life now through Jesus... But what a great promise that we can spend eternity with him. We don't have to fear dying uh, if we put our trust in Jesus. If we believe Jesus died for our sins and rose again, uh, we trust in him. We don't have to earn our way. We can just trust him. It's a free gift from God, the Bible says, to have eternity with him, a forever relationship with God through Jesus. So if you're listening and you're thinking, I'm not sure where I'm heading when I die, This is the great promise of Scripture. Put your trust in Jesus today to experience eternity with him forever. Yeah. And on our website, if you want more information or some Bible verses to look up, there's a message from Dr. Mark Job. You can just learn more about that. Um, Go to openlineradio.org. 
And up at the top right corner, um, it says how to know Christ. Or if you scroll all the way to the bottom, it says knowing Christ. And you can click on that. It'll take you to this page um, with more information about that. Yep. Let's do one more question. All right. Let's see if there's a quick one. This is Marilyn in Kentucky. Listen to WJSO. In Matthew 24, 36, Jesus says, No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. I often hear people say in the end, the Father will tell the Son to go get his children. That is to come back down for the rapture. But I can't find this in the Bible. Does Jesus know when that day will be? Well, obviously, here's what we have to recognize, is that the Lord Jesus is deity and he's omniscient. But there is something that he can choose to do, which is to self-limit his knowledge uh, through his own self-limitation. And it says here, in, as you say, in Matthew 24, 36, no one but the Father knows. When the disciples asked the Lord Jesus at his ascension, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He says, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. So it appears to me that the Lord Jesus has limited his knowledge on this and and chooses not to know, but will go when the Father appoints him to go. So was that only in his humanity he had limited it? Or does he know now that he has ascended and is in heaven, does he know now? Well, I would say, first of all, he's still human. He's a mortal, glorified human, but he is human, fully human, fully God forever. That's first. And then secondly, I don't know. Okay. I only know what he said, and he hasn't said anything ever since. So uh, I'll just go with this appears to be what he says. Okay. Yep. All right. Yeah. Thanks for that question, He hasn't given us a message beyond uh, his his resurrection saying, well, now I know. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Okay. Hey, Tricia, thanks for bringing those questions in. You can always send your question by going to openlineradio.org. Click on Ask Michael a Question, fill out the form. Trish will put it in the mailbag. She keeps checking it. Even for next hour, it might show up there. So anyway, uh, we'll be right back with more of your calls in just a moment. Stay with me. Michael and Michael Rydelnik and Trisha McMill right here on Open Line. So glad you stuck around. This is Open Line with Michael Rydelnik and... Before we get back to the phones, let's talk about this month's free gift from Chosen People Ministries. People often tell me they only learned about this worldwide outreach to the Jewish people through my mentioning it here on Open Line. Well, this month, Chosen People Ministries is offering the booklet to an ancient people. It's the autobiography of Rabbi Leopold Cohn. It tells the story of this rabbi, the trials and triumphs of a young rabbi in his rural hungry upbringing in the late 19th century, his quest for truth, how Leopold came to the new world at the begin, at the end of the 19th century, and how he was searching for God and the Messiah, and his indescribable joy in finding Yeshua. Uh, Rabbi Cohn went on to found Chosen People Ministries. If you'd like a free copy of To an Ancient People, this wonderful story, just go to the Open Line website. That's openlineradio.org. Scroll down. You'll see a link that says 
a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that. You'll be taken to a page then where you can sign up for your very own copy of To an Ancient People. And we're going to go right back to the phones. We're going to speak with Wayne in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, listening on WJCS. Welcome to Open Line, Wayne. How can I help you? Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Dr. Mike. I'm well, thank you. How can I help you? Good, good. Uh, Yeah, just had a question on the validity of Midrash. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I know about Midrash. What's what's your question about Midrash? So the question on Midrash, I just want to know how how accurate is it historically in in comparison to the Bible? Um, I was, you know, I read a little small article that uh, Ben Shapiro had put out, and I, you know, he's got some good stuff to say. I hope we could get him on our side one of these days. Uh, but he was mentioning uh, a gentleman by the name of um, Nashon who was back in the Old Testament, back in the time of of Moses, that he had entered the water first before when when Moses parted the Red Sea, and that he had went all the way up to, like, his nose. Wait, wait, let's just stop there. That's a Midrash, is what he said. Uh, Yeah, he was talking about a Midrash, and it's not in the Bible. Okay, so let let me explain what Midrash is. The word Midrash itself just means... uh, uh, I guess you could say explanation. It comes from the word search uh, or exposition. Some people translate it. Uh, it's it's even used in Chronicles, different parts of the Bible, about how uh, of interpreting the text of Scripture. Uh, then there developed rabbinic midrash, which is what he was talking about. Yeah. Rabbinic midrash... Uh, is seeking to, it's like sermons that seek to apply the eternal scriptures, the ancient scriptures in contemporary situations. And in many cases, uh, it will basically take a principle and apply it in, in current circumstances or current when they were being written. So that's what it does. That's the ultimate purpose of this hermeneutic is it's sort of like a sermonic kind of interpretation, okay? Okay. Now, one of the things that they do, particularly in later midrashim or later expositions of this sort, is they take very fanciful views to kind of fill in the details of Scripture. So there are things that the Bible doesn't really say, and... In some of these sermons later on, rabbis became quite fanciful in how they explained what actually happened. And it's, it's more fiction than fact. And that's what he's, this thing with Nachshon, there's nothing in it in Scripture, and it's a very late, fanciful interpretation. There's other midrashim that are about Moses and, uh, you know, Moses talks about being slow of speech. And so there's one in the Midrash on Exodus where Moses as a baby is tested and he chooses uh, gold. Oh, by, he's tested by Pharaoh. And he chooses gold over burning coals. So an angel comes and 
moves his hand to the burning coals so Pharaoh would not know that this is the Redeemer, and then he puts his hand in his mouth with the burning coal, burns his tongue, and has a speech impediment, and that's why Moses says that he is slow of speech. The point of that is that uh, uh, that's not true. That was just made up. And so that we have to be very careful when we read Midrash. Sometimes they have some interesting insights and applications, but generally speaking, the historical parts that are added are not accurate. They're not, they're not uh, something that is true. So anyway, I hope that helps, Wayne. Uh, appreciate your call. We're going to speak with uh, Ch- Tracy in Chan- Chanahan, Illinois, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Tracy. How can I help you? Thank you. I was wondering, what does the budding of the fig tree indicate in Matthew twenty four thirty two to thirty five? Well, uh, in the, in that case, uh, some people have said that that refers to the rebirth of the modern state of Israel. I do not believe that's what it's talking about. The Lord Jesus is talking about the signs of His uh, coming, the signs of the end of the age, and it says, in the same way, as soon as a branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near at the door. What that's saying is that when you see these signs during the tribulation period, which I believe we will be raptured from, but the people, the believers alive during the tribulation, they, in turn... Uh, will uh, be able to see that the Lord Jesus is about to return at the end of the tribulation because they see the signs. Uh, And that generation that sees those signs, the believers in the tribulation, will not pass away until all these things take place. So what that's referring to are the signs of the Lord's return during the tribulation. That's what it refers to. Anyway, I hope that helps, Tracy. Thanks for your call. And that's the first hour. I can't believe how quickly that went. But keep listening. There's a second hour of Open Line on most of these stations. If your station doesn't carry Open Line, you can check us out online or with the Moody Radio app. Or you can even get the podcast. During the break, you can check out our webpage, openlineradio.org. It has all sorts of links that you'll find helpful, including our current resource and how to become a kitchen table partner. You can check out my personal webpage there as well. Second hour of Open Line is coming up straight ahead with more of your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.